1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. I'm your host, Dr. Dave O'Brien. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Malcolm James from the University of Sussex about his new book, Urban Multiculture, Youth Politics and Cultural Transformation in a Global City, which is published by Palgrave Macmillan. Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. On this episode of the pod, I'm speaking to Dr. Malcolm James, who is a lecturer in media and cultural studies at the University of Sussex, about his new book, Urban Multiculture, Youth Politics and Cultural Transformation in a Global City which is published by Palgrave, and was recently shortlisted for an award with the British Sociological Association as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, To start off with, um, it'd be really interesting to get a bit of context for the book because it's a really uh, detailed ethnography of a particular part of London that has these quite major, um, Mm. certainly national and possibly global, consequences about how we understand young people, politics, race, geography, lots of different areas so I wonder if you could say a bit about the background to the book and and where it came from
0: I mean you know the background to the book is um kind of convoluted and long story so we kind of it's always interesting how we always kind of invent these beginnings don't we that we become we narrate when we talk to each other about how they started um I kind of I think I want to kind of avoid doing that actually because it says something about the process which I think is key to ethnography actually that it doesn't start in a neat place and end in a neat place it starts in a kind of messy place which is your own personal histories and ideas and um becomes kind of manufactured into the book that um that we have here um so it really started um i'd been doing work in newham and around newham i'd worked previously for a long time um with children and young people on various different projects um and my partner was working in Newham at the time. Um, and that kind of culminated in an application to um, do a PhD, kind of a one plus three. So with the masters at LSE. And originally I was interested more in recent Eastern European migration in that part of London and what that meant for reconfiguring um, race, racialization, you know, in that place among young people. Um, and as I kind of, went there and as I worked there and I did my master's kind of dissertation there and started doing my PhD there I kind of really realized that was only one part of a much more complicated story um and so the PhD developed in that way really it developed as a kind of attempt a kind of reflexive attempt to um understand engage with what was going on around me um and in particular around three youth clubs in the London Borough of Newham and that ended up being a story of urban multicultural. Um, yeah, so so that's really how it came about. And,
1: and the book is the the kind of continuation of that idea. I guess there's a couple of things you'd, you'd mentioned there that would be really good to uh, unpack for the listeners. Um, mm. And we, we can sort of do these in, in whichever way you'd like. Sure. It'd be good to know a bit about Newham, like why it's interesting yeah. as a site for research, and then that kind of key term, urban multicultural, sure. and, and what it means. Yeah. Do you want us should we talk about Newham first? Yes, yeah, so set, set the scene.
0: Yeah. So um, Newham's interesting for lots of reasons. It's been a kind of, it's been a part of London that's been inundated with um, researchers, not particularly actually sociologists, although sociologists have certainly been there and gone there, Um, but lots of social policy researchers. Um, And their interest has been to kind of understand the um, social consequences of ethnic diversity. Um, and that, so, I mean, let's, yeah, let's talk about that first, um, because there are a number of different ways in which Newham was portrayed, um, which I'm kind of trying to contest. The kind of social diversity one looks, so Newham is, the history of Newham, Newham was kind of a, um, formerly working class. It's, um, oh, well, still working class predominantly, I suppose, apart from kind of Stratford, that kind of little fringe, but that was only just starting when I was there. Um, but it's, uh. It's a working class borough um, and it kind of built up around the docks. So the population rose massively in the 1800s and lots of land was reclaimed. So you had kind of Forest forest Gate and there were other kind of establishments that go back a lot longer. But the south of the borough and the east of the borough, so along the River Lee and the docks, was kind of largely populated in the 1800s onwards with the arrival of industry, the rail, rail transport and the building of houses. Um, And its working class condition and the kind of need for a new population to service these industries um, and also the kind of provision of cheap housing meant that kind of from that period onwards, um, new people arrived and arrived again from from the English um, regions, from, um, you know, the former Commonwealth or the kind of um, through business colonial relations through its kind of sea trade and mercantile relations. And so you had this growth of a kind of, for its time, a nationally diverse, regionally diverse in terms of England's regions, um, but also a kind of internationally diverse population. And that story has continued over and over again and still continues today. I mean, it's only possibly Stratford and the kind of gentrification of Stratford that's beginning to change the dynamic of that story. So we see a population that's been in constant flux, histories of movement, et cetera, et cetera. So that becomes of interest to policymakers, and policymakers start to talk about that in terms of super diversity. And in the kind of work of Vertovec, it both marks a moment at which we have a kind of lots of different um, ethnic groups in one place. So one of the most ethnically diverse places in the world, I think, is the London Borough of Newham. And, Bertbe- and um, Vertovec marks that time, but it also becomes fetishized among policymakers, who are kind of really kind of interested in the surprising absence of conflict. So this is around the time when people are talking about community cohesion. There's the northern disturbances, right? Protests, uprisings, or whatever we might call those. Um, And people are kind of thinking, well, Newm's so super diverse. Why isn't everybody fighting all the time? Or they're kind of celebrating what has come known as the kind of that really flat reading of Gilroy's conviviality, although conviviality as a term wasn't used at that point. So we have that one on on the one hand that speaks to the kind of problems of the area, but also something that's interesting. And so something that's interesting about it is um, is uh, what that kind of configuration of population tells us about um, race and ethnicity and the processes of racialization. The other thing that's interesting about it is the fact that it's a very young population. So if we're interested in youth culture, it's one of the youngest populations um, in the UK. And there is a big youth culture. And there are histories of youth culture. And that kind of stretches back to kind of form working class cultures, but also youth cultures that are globally connected and also youth cultures that arrive through these processes of um, migration into the borough. The other thing that happens in this period is it's also kind of um, remembered and romanticized as a home of the working class and particularly of um, a version of the working class that becomes racialized as being white. Um, and so it has these kind of different stories. It has the one story which is of super diversity and the kind of fetishizations of that, and the one which is the fetishization of the white working class. Now, those things make it an interesting place discursively to look at what's going on there and the configurations of race and culture that happen in those places in relationship to youth culture. Um, uh, and they also make it an interesting place because of the population dynamics and because the kind of what that kind of tells us the contestations um and yeah the contestations that kind of are generated through that so what what we so what are the reformations of racisms that kind of happen in that place where these kind of populations exist within particular particular national context, and also kind of what are i guess the kind of um what are the convivialities mm. what is the reason why? You know, that is an interesting question in some senses. Um, what, is, what is the reason why everybody kind of actually, um, how, how everyday life kind of
1: continues to function in Europe, the absence of conflict in some senses as well? Um, I'm tempted to kind of to probe that a bit more, mm. actually, because um, the second chapter in the book really gets into uh, the way the use of history and memory produces mm. particular kinds of hierarchies. Mm. In the area. And you've alluded to one of them. Um, already. But before we do that, this kind of urban multicultural term, mm. um, which is, you know, obviously the title of the book, so you can just sort of pin that down for me.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh, the term culture
0: comes from the cultural studies tradition of understanding culture, which is a Raymond Williams version of culture, which is culture is um, kind of everyday art and expression, something that's taken out of the museum and that's um, democratised in a sense. So it's that version of culture. I mean, this is a book that's written in a Cultural studies, post-colonial um, tradition of sociology, if you like. So that's the version of of culture. It's also culture as everyday life. So we can think about culture in that kind of more anthropological sense of culture as well. Oh no, sorry. Let's say more sociological sense. The anthropological sense being culture as ethnicity, really, which I um, I tend to use um, race and colonialism when I'm when I'm talking about that in the book. So culture in that sense. Multi in the sense that it is kind of talking about the uh, multiple configurations of ethnicity and racism. And in sociology, um, and then particularly in ethnographic sociology, we have a kind of tradition of work in that area. Um, In kind of ethnographic terms, we have Les, Les Bach's book, New Ethnicities, which really kind of looks at multicultural in that way. We also have multicultural used in that way by Paul Gilroy and other kind of other sociologists, and so that's where multicultural comes from. Urban because it's urban because it's Newham. So <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <clears throat> um, so how does um, going back to what you were saying earlier? How does the um, the set of hierarchies you alluded to play out in Newham? Um, one of the things the second chapter does is, is talk um, in some detail actually about um the way that the tension between a kind of multicultural convivial celebrated mm. place um works with this sense of well this is you know the souls of the earth white working class and these are mm. real londoners and this is the east end etc mm. and there is a hierarchy here so i wonder mm. if you could kind of talk through um that sense of memory and hierarchy yeah so that's that second chapter
0: is the one we're talking about so we're- um, it's called whiteness and loss in, in outer East London, I think. Um it's looking at the ways in which um ideas of memory and ideas of the past play into um youth culture um in, in Newham. And it kind of takes on the argument, the one that I kind of set up originally, that this is the home of um this is the home of the white working class, that this kind of this imagined whiteness, this kind of idea of of loss and and this exists in popular literature it also exists in kind of certain kind of sociological accounts um and so we have kind of the rarefication of the working class um as being white in that place their racialisa- racialization I suppose um and what it's kind of trying to say is that uh, actually Newham's a more complicated space than that um so it looks at how um So one of the ways in which whiteness is, um, the idea of whiteness or British whiteness is often related or has been related to the idea of melancholia, um, which is the idea of a kind of mourning of a great past and the psychic or kind of psychological effects that that has in terms of its, um, in terms of the kind of forms of racial violence that play out on a global and also local stage. Um, and so it's kind of saying that, you know, it, it looks at whiteness and it looks at how whiteness is remembered in terms of loss in East London. And so some of the people I worked with were were white or identified as being white. Um, and so it looks at how um, loss is made sensible, or, or in that kind of national discourse, legitimacy, belonging to the earth, which I talk about as um, is made sense of in relationship to loss and particularly in relationship to um, migrants that arrive in the borough, non-white migrants, but no, not 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 just non-white migrants. Also, Eastern European migrants. For the sense that they're coming to take something from us. They're coming to take something. We had this former glory. We had, um, you know, we had West Ham winning, winning the FA Cup. We had the World Cup. You know, England winning the World Cup. And 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 this has been taken away from that. Obviously, that is a kind of story of melancholia. I talk about it really as nostalgia because it provides a slightly more open framework to the diaspora nostalgias that also exist, diasporic nostalgias that also exist. So people kind of have their own nostalgias of different homelands in Europe. So we can't only talk about the nostalgia for the English or white homeland. So I use nostalgia in that sense. Um,
1: So um, where did I get to? Um, I mean, the the main thing is the kind of the hierarchy around this. Mm. Um, And... It's interesting how this sense of hierarchy then runs through parts of the rest of the book where, um, you know, there's a real sense of kind of legitimate and essentially illegitimate forms of cultural activity mm. and cultural production mm. and um, the use of space and, and, um, um, and certain oh, yeah. um, representations that, yeah. um, I mean, later on you, you sort of talk about this term negative politics, which I thought was, was really interesting.
0: Yeah, so look, so yeah, let me just, because I I just remembered. So one of the things that this kind of idea of loss does is it kind of erases the structural issues that have happened in that place. So the fact that um, Newham Newham has been done badly by kind of um, capitalist and post-industrial politics. And so rather than kind of note the kind of structural failings of successive governments in that area, it gets told as a story of, of migration, you know, a story of, you know, loss being, you know, whiteness or some kind of Former glory being taken away, and that kind of gets celebrated, and is the cause of antagonisms. The other interesting thing to note is that um, whiteness has never been a stable category in Newham, and that's the other thing it kind of seeks to contest. So whiteness has get, got whiteness gets traced over, and I use that kind of language of um, you know tracing, which is kind of part of I uh, I don't know a theoretical kind of underpinning of the book based around performativity, based around citation, those kind of ideas. Um, And so, you know, and so um, whiteness um, becomes claimed, people kind of become white, and they use that as the basis for um, establishing a a kind of hierarchy of belonging in a kind of precarious landscape um, of unemployment and marginalisation in lots of different ways. And that means that quite often, you know, there'll be um, young people whose parents were... um, let's say, Romany or Greek or Turkish, you formerly, their parents at least, wouldn't have been able to claim whiteness um, in their day um, because of the forms of racism that existed then. But these young people can and do, and that's partly testament to the kind of fluid dynamics of ethnicity in the borough, which kind of, you know, make you know, which tell us that race, is, race and whiteness isn't a stable category. But it's partly a way in which racial hierarchies get remade and reformed, which is kind of, builds into the kind of what you were just talking about, yeah.
1: Uh, it's worth thinking um i mean you you mentioned the landscape and and locality a couple of times there Mm. and it's worth thinking both i think you know kind of really locally um maybe thinking about why postcodes matter um Mm. to your uh, ethnography with with young people but also i think to kind of think how this is complemented um globally as well in Mm. terms of the way that you know, global youth culture sure. is, is alive, well, and you know, being performed. Mm. Whilst at the same time, there is you know a, a story of kind of you know quite a bounded space through really you know micro distinctions.
0: Sure, and that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think um, I think as as you know, I mean, lots of the book is kind of framed around these kind of dynamics, and that's one of the things that um, one of the things that I was really interested in. So the postcode is interesting. You know, I think again we can kind of think about this in terms of. Um, performativity. We could think about it through Butler and Gilroy's versions of those things, in fact. But the postcode is both... The way that postcodes played out, so just to kind of say, in case people don't know, there are lots of... um, In London, there is kind of certain conflicts that predominantly young men participate in, but not only young men, which is around the kind of postcode, which is like the UK version of the zip code, right? In which that kind of territory is defended. So people identify with that territory, they wear... Um, sometimes clothing and colours that mark them in relationship to that territory. They might wear bandanas. They make um, If they're musicians, then they might make uh, music, um, particularly in the genre of of grime when I was there, about that. Now, that's often, you know, in kind of popular media, take t- t- taken in quite a flat way to say, oh, kind of this kind of postcode violence, you know, really is a way of kind of reprimanding um, black diasporic culture um, and working class young people because of their failure to um you know adopt kind of normative middle class ways of kind of of comportment now, obviously there's a much more complicated story in that, and any kind of those kind of shrill kind of moral discourses always need to be kind of um contested but the the postcode's interesting because it's um in the one hand it kind of references a uh global hip hop Let's say so. Global hip hop's use of the hood. So in the US context, and particularly the, I guess particularly the kind of West West US LA version of that, the Bloods and the Crips version of that, the idea of the hood, and that kind of comes that kind of comes into Durham through commercialised US culture and the music that young people listen to, and lots of the young people there listen to um, listen to hip hop and rap. And the appeal of that is also something that's important but isn't kind of strictly um, part of this conversation. And so the young people are kind of, if we think about that in terms of the language or kind of context that people have around them, that's what the young people are thinking with and drawing on when they're making sense of their own lives and their own relations. But it doesn't just get kind of neatly kind of taken from the US and put into new, one, right? Rather, it's kind of... it. Is used to make sense of a different context and a dif- different history, and so we can also understand how in Newham, going back quite a long time, and there's a book by Downs on on some of the territorial formations in Newham, which is called I think it's called the delinquent delinquent solution, is it something like that, which is quite which is quite instructive of this. So around the um, around the working class neighbourhoods in Newham, there was already a sense of kind of territoriality, you know, um, and that has its history in a kind of um, public masculine um, ideas of territoriality and ownership of which working class people participate in, but so do the police and so does everybody else and so do the institutions of the state, right? And so it plays into that and young people make sense of it in that kind of context, in fact. So we can have this idea of this kind of double idea of citation, of citing from the global and citing from the local to make sense of a particular neoliberal context in in um, in outer East London at that moment, and that out and that kind of neoliberal context is partly characterised by um, by racism and ownership and territoriality that fits into these wider national discourses of melancholia that we already talked about, and so part of kind of the idea of the postcode is this is mine, this is my territory, which is also sometimes racialised, and sometimes that is easily slips into you know we're white, you're the immigrant area, we're going to defend that right. So it kind of moulds into that. Um, And, yeah, what else was I going to say? Um, I can't remember now. There was another point I was going to make, but I have forgotten it.
1: And this is all mediated as well. Um, So, you know, um, there's a discussion in the book about the impact of YouTube Mm. um, on this, which I think is very interesting because, you know, both the global um, and the local Mm. are also mediated. Mm. Um. Yeah, so so that's right. So
0: there's quite a lot in the book about the role of kind of YouTube music videos. Um, you know, do you want to talk about that? Do you
1: want to go into that now? Yeah, yeah. You say, you say a little bit about that before we come on. So, like, I mean, I, I was fascinated by the negative politics mm. chapter, and I'd like to spend some time on that. But yeah, it'd be good to just flag up okay. the discussion of uh, of mediation and YouTube.
0: Yeah, so lots of the ways in which um, so if we talk about these kind of dual citations, but if we particularly look at kind of commercial um, rap and hip hop and that that. That how that's mediated i mean that's you know YouTube has played a kind of incredibly important role in that, and it, and that 's relatively recent it 's not to say that you know young people weren 't listening to rap and hip hop before YouTube I mean you know that much would be ridiculous, and certainly kind of there's been a kind of distribution of recorded music long before that, but in two thousand and eight, I think um Google acquires YouTube, and there's a shift in the way in which music is consumed from a kind of um these other things don't go away. Well, mixtapes go away, I suppose, but I, I guess kind of mix CDs and mixes don't go away. Pirate radio doesn't go away. But YouTube increases, becomes prominent. So the ways in which young people are consuming um, music and commercial hip-hop is predominantly through YouTube, and that's the way in which they're also having conversations with each other. So some of it is them watching, I don't know, you know, um, uh, they're kind of favourite big kind of US artists, of which there are kind of, you know, numerous examples. Um, And some of it is of them watching their peers or at least young people that they imagine to be like them. So not kind of, not people who have recording contracts, but people who are making videos that are kind of doing this dual citation between US commercial culture and, um, and local versions of what it means to kind of be a young person in Newham and the history of that and that's that's the dialogue that's going on and it's going on on the street it's going on physically in terms of the postcode in, in in what we talked about um but it's also going on through youtube as well um and so that's kind of one of the important ways in which this is mediated yeah
1: so yeah, tell me about negative politics, um, particularly that idea about you know cultural representation of, of of this idea so
0: negative politics was a a later chapter that I um, added into the book um there was something that I was really kind of grappling with for a lot of the time when I was doing the project of how to make sense of the politics that were going on there. Um, It didn't seem satisfactory to me to kind of say um, that young people had been simply conscripted wholesale into neoliberal culture in that they had lost all politics or all kind of critical kind of relation to the society that they were in or, any kind of protest or struggle against the forms of marginalisation they, they were suffering.
1: And that would be awful ethnography if it, if it came, came out with, you know, I, I went and lived with uh, a range of young people in, in a particular place and found that they exactly mirror what social and cultural theorists are describing about the world. That well, of
0: course. A, I mean, and that was kind of where the starting point was, right, because it is kind of social, cultural, is perhaps less so. At that time, it was social-cultural theorists that were making that argument. And I kind of understand where that argument comes from in some senses, in that, it, you know, it is a depressing time. You know, we can really see the kind of conscription of lots of things into neoliberal marginalisation. But to say that there isn't a struggle going on is to kind of actually kind of to, to dehumanise people and the kind of history of humanity in a way there's always been a struggle. People have always struggled, Right. So so it came from that point and and the the question was to understand what that struggle was in um in youth culture in Newham and in generally in youth culture in Britain and particularly in kind of youth cultures that are marginalized although it's not only youth cultures that are marginalized because also the aesthetics that I'm about to talk about is also um popularized and commercialized so it's not only in relationship to marginality, it's also in relationship to the commercialisation and selling of that marginality, which is kind of Gilroy's argument in a way. Um, But in you and with the young people I was working with who aren't kind of big commercial artists, you know, anything like that, um, they're they're trying to make... There's a kind of... I I would say there's a kind of, um, you know, residual anger and frustration, basically. Um, And that anger and frustration has lots of different routes um, and some of those are in relationship to the structural position that you know, those young people find themselves in. And that will, can be in terms of class um, or in terms of race and racism, in fact. Um, and so young people are kind of, that, that that we can understand as a struggle, a struggle against marginalisation and the kind of anger that kind of arises from that. And young people like use certain lexicons that are available to them to make sense of what that anger is um and some of those lexicons come from hip-hop come from commercial overblown hip-hop which is long since kind of um you know whose artists have long since departed from the struggle of the street but nonetheless that provides a lexicon to people who are really kind of um feeling the pinch of kind of you know david cameron's austerity britain in a way and so they they use that language, and, and they also use kind of repertoires and languages that exist in the histories of East London as well. Um, and so the, the chapter was really kind of trying to understand um, what that anger was. So not only that people are not only that people are marginalised and conscripted into capitalism, which is certainly true, but also people are kind of struggling against that using these lexicons that are available to them. And noting that these lexicons, we, we think about that this second part we could talk about as negative politics, or I talk about as negative politics, precisely because they don't have a kind of utopian horizon, which is important. It's important to note that that is meaningful, right, that that kind of politics is meaningful. Because some of the critiques are, well, it doesn't have a utopia, therefore it's not politics. And populist kind of leftist politics say that, right? But it is meaningful even if it doesn't have, I'm saying the struggle is meaningful, the anger is meaningful, even if it doesn't have a clear utopia. But I'm also kind of trying to say that through that struggle, there's a kind of generative process going on. There's a process of kind of reflection. There's a protest of even just creativity that creates a possibility for something that might have the character of a different kind of potential, a different understanding. And so I go through various examples of the chapter of tentatively, and I talk about it very tentatively because I don't want to place too much weight on that either. I don't want to say oh, look, you know, well, what they said about being conscripted into capitalism is wholly untrue, and look, isn't it wonderful? Don't they have this kind of, like, you know, visionary kind of attitude? It's not true. I'm trying to say the conscription is real, the negative politics and the rage and the anger is real, and that deserves attention, and that there are possibilities where a kind of – where a different version of living together, of existing kind of appears tentatively. Um, And and so that's what it's about.
1: I suppose this – Tentative optimism runs through. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, it runs through in the way the book finishes, actually, with yeah. a consideration of kind of aspirations and futures yeah. in Newham. Um, mm. And obviously, aspiration aspirations a very low term in UK political discourse, and you know, you allude to that in, mm. in, in the chapter and, and engage with that. So, I wonder if you could uh, you could say a bit about that sense of the kind of you know the aspirations and futures of new. Well, I mean that that final
0: chapter is kind of set up in a similar way. You know, the argument to the one on negative politics, and the end of the chapter brings together various different moments in which there are kind of different possibilities for different futures. I suppose, um, and so part of the chapter looks at these kind of very looks at aspirational futures, and and it kind of um, talks about what an aspirational future is in the context of kind of new labor and running into the kind of conservative period and how that's racialized class engendered. Right. So how it's, um, so how it, it's racialized on the basis that, um, you know, um, some black and minority ethnic groups are considered not to be part of that kind of version of aspiration. Um, it's classed in the fact that it's a kind of bourgeois discourse, which assumes that you can just get it if you want it. You know, um, and it's gendered because um, women and men are kind of positioned in that discourse differently, um, and that that works kind of. You know, that kind of the work on um, Angela McRobbie's work um, and some of the other work on kind of post-feminism kind of positions that well in terms of gender, I think, or you know, in terms of women. Um, and there's a masculine version of that as well, um, and so it's kind of looking at that, and it looks at the ways in which young people in this complicated. Um, racialized context the ways in which we've talked about the idea of kind of um, the formations of new racisms, the persistence of old racisms, the tracing of racisms the ways in which young people um, negotiate that dominant idea of aspiration and in particular I look at um, a group of young Albanian women who are very um, aspiring in that sense that Gordon Brown would talk about aspiration for example um, you know, they their, their plan is that they're going to go to Oxford and they're going to study medicine, you know. Um, and in so doing that, they kind of take on features of that discourse in which they um, disassociate themselves or disidentify themselves from other people who they consider to be um, lower than them in terms of um, being um, more brown or more black than they are, you know, so racially. Um, and in terms of their class position. And they, so they position themselves against their friends. And I used, um, I think, Bev Skate's kind of phrase of disidentification or dissociation, which I can't remember exactly, is quite useful for thinking about that. Um, and then I look at the kind of young people who kind of don't, um, are structured in such a way or um, or whose lives have kind of unfolded in such a way that they don't have, they don't have access to that kind of discourse. And so what the kind of future means for them is, you know, and I talk about that in the ways in which their futures become marginalised and the ways in which they kind of struggle against that and they kind of try to make sense of that. Um, and then I talk about the different possibilities that exist within um, alternative futurities, I suppose, of um, of the new one that I've been kind of um, outlining. And do you want to talk about those alternative futurities? Yeah, you can. Um, I just
1: need to, because I think actually in, in, in positioning those sets of alternatives, it it kind of returns us to the importance of ethnographic work for politics.
0: Oh, right, um, yeah.
1: And and I think actually one of the things that the book is really good at is speaking to contemporary understandings of particular places mm. and their politics and the relationship between national politics and those places, but also speaking back to social and cultural theory about, Mm. you know, this set of methods, this way of doing knowledge returns us to a set of understandings that, you know, in some ways are absent in lots of discussions, particularly around the role of culture Mm. um, in contemporary society, both UK and globally, but also in terms of the sense of, of futures, whether they are, Aspirational in the bourgeois, in mean, a class sense, or mm. rather bleaker mm. um, so yeah it'd be good to hear a bit a bit about those
0: well i think I mean just it kind of one thing I was trying to do, and it kind of occurs to me now that um was to show that kind of the al- alternative futurities um that previously been noted to be part of urban culture, and particularly in the work of um you know Gilroy and lesbach um and I'm thinking now, although there are other examples of their work around their sound system, for example, and how that kind of space created a demand beyond the kind of horizons of the society that they were living in, you know. And what I'm kind of trying to do is to kind of both show how those futures have changed and they've been conditioned and they've been conscripted, but also to show the transformation and persistence of some of those undercurrents in, in, in urban culture. In um, And so, you know, the sociabilities that persist even around the use of something as kind of capitalist and conscripted as YouTube is still interesting and important. You know, the the kind of dialogues that people will sustain with each other in the making of music, both on a kind of interpersonal level in the making of the film itself. You know, you as the kind of um, um, filmmaker and me as the the artist or whatever, um, are, are still important to kind of think about. You know, I I even think about the ways in which people kind of do their kind of negative politics as having slightly different horizons to that which is the kind of normal horizon. So without romanticising it, but taking it into serious consideration, even the acting out of a kind of um, a robbery can be a protest against the marginalisation that people have in terms of labour and the kind of alternative currencies and economies that could possibly exist you know i know that that's a kind of that kind of stretches it a little bit far but it shows a kind of alternative labor scenario particularly if you're kind of in the case that i'm talking about it was a young girl acting out a robbery against me and she was doing it because of my kind of positionality in the youth club as a kind of you know you know uh, as a sign of kind of dominance you know white middle class university educated and, and and so there are things going on in those kind of things which 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 suggest a kind of you know that suggests an alternative mode maybe of justice maybe of earning maybe of maybe of labor there are alternative forms of kind of human relations and relationality that that exist it's not to say that they only exist in this place but they do exist in this place too um yeah and there, there are some other things i looked at in the book which um which escaped me now but that's kind of what i was trying to do i mean i kind of i was really trying to kind of look at the ways in which alternative horizons um haven't just disappeared rather they've kind of we can look at those earlier studies and we can rather think that they've transformed that they changed but they are still persistent there are still things there that merit attention you know um there are kind of alternative versions of society if you like that are played out on the fringes of a racist capitalist society i suppose
1: so, I mean, the, the book's been very well received. Obviously, yes. I said it, uh, it was shortlisted for um, the BSA Award. Um, are you still kind of working in Newham? Are you still part of this project? Um, are you doing something completely different at the moment? Like, what's what's kind of come next after this?
0: I'm um, I'm doing a number of things. So, there's some there's some parts of the book that are that are kind of being um, extended. So, there's arguments in the book, particularly around kind of ethnography as a kind of decolonial method that I'm that I'm kind of been extending and and publishing something on shortly so looking at the ethnographic practice and kind of asking what that means you know kind of responding to the critique I suppose although indirectly that um ethnography is always colonial um and can't be anything other than that um and I'm looking at I'm extending kind of some of the ideas around I have the chapter which looks at the kind of transformations between the sound system Pirate Radio and YouTube, and I'm starting to explore through a kind of short book project more in detail um, about what that means, um, and so that's something else I doing. In terms of kind of working with people and doing um, participatory research, I'm still working in Newham. Um, I've got a project with um, young people around the youth club in Newham and, and, some, um, and some kind of partners and colleagues, Newham Monitoring Project, and um, Fahima Lam, who did the film. Um, rights reframed and we're kind of looking at the um, politics and musical expression so how young people kind of do their politics through kind of music and that I guess for me although obviously it's a it's a collection of ideas and it's long since kind of left the the point where it kind of is neatly fitted into my work but um for me the kind of beginning of starting to think about that was the idea of negative politics and the possibilities that in sound and music we might be able to kind of access and understand um, registers of youth politics that perhaps escape us when we only think about things kind of discursively or in more traditional sociological frames.
1: Thanks for listening to New Books in Critical Theory. On this episode I was discussing urban multicultural, youth politics and cultural transformation in a global city with Dr Malcolm James from the University of Sussex.